0: Love to hear your voices, <coughs> that is a good thing. Well, uh, this is come, we're coming up to Easter week, Easter week, where next weekend is going to be our all our services with our, our Good Friday and Easter, and what a celebration we're going to have! So, thank you for preparing yourselves, coming here early to, uh, to be able to take all that in. If you are a, a visitor with us, if you are uh, new here. You'll, uh, you'll notice that sometimes we speak through series, and basically we pick a topic and we do a deep dive on a topic and pull it apart, and so we just don't gloss over the surface. And so we've done a deep dive on just God's Word, how to read it, how to read it, how to, how to look at it, and uh, we are going to go deep today, all right? So put your, your uh, diving helmets on, seatbelts on as, uh, as we uh, submerge down to some, some depths today. And I'm going to need God's help for that. So uh, I'm going to pray. And let's pray along with me as, uh, as we hear from him. Uh, Heavenly Father, you are good all the time. In every way we see you, your goodness shines. And this is going to be a little hard to understand, hard to wrap our head around today, God. So I need you. <laughs> I need you. I need you to help us uh, turn the light on of who you are through your holy word. I pray for people on the way to you that don't know you yet. I pray that you would tap their shoulders and whisper your love to them. I pray for those who have known you for decades that they'll be refreshed again by hearing your word. Just be here, God. We invite you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I got thinking about reading the Bible, and it just uh, made me think about reading in general. I'm not sure if you were, uh, you know, as you grew up, you enjoyed reading. I did not. I just couldn't make myself read anything. I, I remember the first book I had to try and read in high school, the Martian Chronicles. I, yeah, that came back to my mind. I go, wow, they... They picked it so young men would just get into this adventure story. But it was boring and so many words. I don't think I made it through the first chapter. And basically I put it aside. And people kept on saying, no, Dave, you need to read. You need to read. And so I tried, okay, what's an easy book? So I got the, you know, the hardy boys. And, and I'm gonna read a, I'm gonna read an adventure story. I couldn't even make it through a Hardy Boy book. I tried for half a year. And I just read I'm not sure if it was boys in that age, but it was just hard. And then I found a a new love for books because I found out that if you pasted all the sheets together and dig out the middle, you can make a really cool compartment in most books. So that's how that's why I love my book. And I still have some of those books on my shelf. Ah man. Then I remembered, you know, going to youth group <clears throat> and they said, Dave, you gotta read the Bible. Uh, just the word read, that's just, whoo, oh, okay. And then they showed me this thing. That's the, th- I couldn't make it through a Hardy Boys book. I'm not gonna make it through this. And then look how little the print is. It's bad and there's no pictures in here. <laughs> oh, so I said, forget it. I, yeah, I just, I can't do this. But I love God, and I wanted so desperately to know God and walk with God deeper. And so I took the deep dive and thought, okay, I'm going to do this. I think I was able to make it through about three verses a day. (laughs) That was about it. That's all I could do. You know what happened? I found it was easier to read than a Hardy Boys book. You what? Hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just... Because it almost as if those pages spoke to me. And now after reading this for several decades, even though I've read through the whole thing many, many times, and I come to old passages, you know what? It's like an old friend. I I go to my office, open up my Bible, have my coloring pencils out, and I get ready, and I just, again, I'm reading maybe three verses. But it's like an old friend, and like God whispers through that whispers through that. This week, I've been reading in John, and, and, and I read that Jesus said, you're not from this world. He says, I'm not from this world, and, and, and you're connected to me now, so you're not from this world. Guess what? People won't like you. They'll, they'll push back against you, and it was like, oh, yeah, and all of a sudden, my mind went, and that, that's been going on for hundreds of years. I get to be one of the people that that aren't from this world, it is calming to me. In this unsettled place that we are all in, it just was nice. It was good to read again. There's something about God's word that works in us who are believers. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And, and, and that Holy Spirit takes God's word and works it in our souls. I came upon this verse, and I thought it was great. I thought it was exactly what I'm trying to say. First Thessalonians 2.13, it says this, but we also thank God continually, by the way, that's cool, because when you receive the word of God, receive the word of God, and you know, uh, those of you who are in discipleship groups, this is a Logos word, so this is like, God. this is the Bible, okay? So th- anyway, it, it, if you're in a discipleship group, you know what that means. Okay, and so, so we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, the Bible, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word. No, humans wrote these things. But it, it, you took it as if this was not just written by a person, but as it actually is, the word of God. So you, you accept. okay, these are the words of God. I need to listen to them. And then it says this, which is indeed at work in you who believe. It works in you. It just it it moves things around in you. And as you walk through the day, the Spirit will bring up things and 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 reform places in you if you are just in God's word. And it was amazing as growing up and it still is amazing here. Week one of our three-week series is that we looked at what Jesus thought about the Bible. We find out the only one on the planet that actually died and rose again. He called it the Word of God. He used it as a spiritual weapon. He saw this as a, a fulfilled prophecy. He saw this as God's very words. And so we looked at that. That's what Jesus actually understood it to be. I think well, I don't have enough time to go over other reasons why I think these are the words of God. But i got to sneak this one in. I just love it. There are miraculously accurate prophecies. If, if you, you know the Old Testament, the Old Testament was written before Jesus, and, and those things written before Jesus were not just before him, but 400 years before Jesus came on the scene. And they predicted this person called the Messiah that was going to come. And could you imagine you trying to predict something one year out, all right? This is going to happen here in Hamilton. <laughs> I remember reading some predictions of uh, what was going to happen in Hamilton a while ago, and uh, the, somebody, uh, somebody wrote, like, like, you know, some, uh, I know the, the future. They said, the Skyway will collapse. Well, hasn't yet, there will be a secret royal visit. It was so secret, no one knew about it. And then there's a massive winter storm. Whoa, it's true, because <laughs> we're Canadians. Anyway, we all freak out if there's one accurate thing just one year out. Imagine trying to guess what's happening 10 years out. Try and imagine, you know, 100 years out. Less than 100 years ago, <laughs> the, uh, the US postmaster predicted we would have rocket mail, that the mail would be sent by, by rockets, and just did not happen. It's hard to predict the future but in the Old Testament written hundreds of years before Jesus was on the scene. There are 325 biblical prophecies. Nothing comes even close. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, it actually predicts the year that Jesus was born. In Micah 5, 2, it, the, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. In Isaiah 7, 11 to 14, the Messiah will be born to a virgin. In Isaiah 9, 6, he will be called God. He will be a forever king. Zechariah 9, 9, he rides in on a donkey. As the king on Psalm 22, 16 to 18, he's crucified. His clothes are gambled over. In Psalm 53, he's buried in a rich person's great comes back to life and has many children that is kind of specific just a bit hundreds of years out and Jesus lives it all and that again whispers to me na ha ha shouts to me this thing is God's word it's not just a bunch of ideas it's not inspired like good inspired writing it is the word of God and I've said this story before but it's so good because I can totally picture Harvey. Some of you met Harvey, my Jewish friend. He was in Jerusalem. He's uh, in a Hebrew school. And they're, 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 you know, learning to speak and write Hebrew. He grew up with it, but he had to refine it. And he said he's in this class with people from all around the world uh, learning Hebrew in Jerusalem. <clears throat> And he looks over, and there's this, this guy training to be a rabbi, has the black suit, the, the hat, and, you know, the, the sideburn thing. And uh, the guy's looking at Harvey all the time, sort of looking at him, looking, you know, like, he said, wow, this is, like, really weird. The guy comes by and puts a note on his desk and sort of walks by. It's like a, like a secret agent man, you know. And so Harvey, he says, he opens it up, and he says, meet me in the city park, you know, after class. <laughs> it's like, you know, you need background music going, dun, 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 dun. So Harvey meets this guy He sits down He says, I've read Isaiah Isaiah 53 Harvey said, yeah It's Jesus, isn't it? I said, Yeah, of course It's obviously Jesus He says, what am I going to do with that? Harvey said, well, except Jesus He says, I can't I'm going to turn my back on everything And my parents He said, well, you'd bring that one to God But you know through the Old Testament, that Jesus is clearly the Messiah, the Son of God. And so we come to God's Word as God's Word. The Bible is God's words. I know that's not uh, grammatically uh, said well, but it's, it's more than just God's Word. It is His words. And we talked about both a the, both the posture and an understanding uh, the posture is to open the Bible with a listening heart. To say, okay, God, I'm going to not only read this, I want to listen to it. Open up your word to me. Open up your word to me. And you just need to pray that. You need to come to it with a listening heart. Uh, I remember hitting this verse when I was in high school. I thought it was just amazing. First Corinthians 2, 11-12 says this, no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. You got that. If you are around an introvert, that's really, you know, that's, that's you know, uh, at ludicrous speed. There's something going on in your head, but only you know what's going on. You're keeping things in there, right? Only, only a person's spirit knows what's going on in their head. And no one can know God's thoughts except for God's own spirit. Yeah, the very same thing. So there's some things up there that are hidden that, that we don't know. And you'd like to unlock some of that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to actually know what those things are? I would. But And we have received God's spirit. Hold on, hold on. We, we've, we've received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. There's this like bucket of things on the outside of the bucket, freely given to anybody. And he's going to whisper it through his spirit. The beautiful thing is, the Spirit wrote this thing, so we have the author of the Bible in us. And that helps. I know some people on the way to God say, I, I don't quite get it. I get it. I understand. I understand. Why do you like it so much? I have the author inside me, and that kind of helps. So we talked about opening the Bible with a listening heart. That not only that, to understand how to read the Bible. We need to read the Bible like any other book in its context. In its context, I heard a great illustration from Lee Strobel and he, he said, could you imagine as a parent telling your teenage daughter, okay, uh, you know, she's going on date and, and her, her boyfriend comes in. Imagine saying to them, you got to be home at 11." Okay, yes, sir, be home at 11. Okay, be home at 11, be home at 11. Now, they go off and, and they're having a great time. They're having a great time. And, and the thing is, man, home at 11 is a difficult thing to interpret, isn't it? There could be many interpretations, right? Is it at 11 or is it generally around 11? Would five minutes after 11 or 20 minutes after 11 be okay because it's in, within the realm of 11, if could, could 11.55 still be considered within 11? You know what's going to happen. <clears throat> he wouldn't mind. You know what? He knows we're having so much fun. He's okay with that. He would think me having fun is more important than being home at 11, right? No, the parents go, no. <laughs> yeah, nope, nope. Now, he didn't specify a.m. or (laughs) p.m. Right, right. Is this Eastern Standard Time? (laughs) People, normal people, normal people know what be home at 11 is. So read the Bible like a normal person. Just read it normally, all right? Just, Just read it literally in its context. Just in a normal way. Now, I thought we'd we tackle one more thing today, for this uh, through this series, and that is some people having questions. I I looked up atheist questions about the Bible, and uh, I came on one side. I thought great, uh, five top questions that atheists have about the Bible, and I thought I, I'd at least hit the top two. Each one of them has answers. I think sometimes if we troll the, uh, troll the internet and, and, and look for things against the Bible, you'll find stuff against the Bible. That's easy to do. But you need to know that Christians have good answers for every single one. Every single one. The one that's on the top of the list, in fact, it hits home with me a little bit because I have a very close relative who grew up in the church, went to Bible college. And yet when he hit this question he pretty much jettisoned his faith. He said, okay, this isn't God then. Uh, there can't be a God like this. In fact, uh, I, was, uh, I was up north and sat down with somebody who was uh, a teacher in a, uh, um, a church. And his young people came back with this question. And trying to answer this question, he had started to unhook himself from the Bible So although I risk the idea of bringing this question to you all, (laughs) right, I'm going to risk that because there's an answer for it. In fact, there's lots of answers for every question that we have. So here's the question. Here's the question. There was violence in the Old Testament commanded by God. And so what it brings into question is God's goodness. Is God good when he says, go to war? He doesn't just say go to war when you read it. He says, just take them on, like clear them out, kill people. As some people talk about the sort of the penultimate example, what they call the Canaanite genocide. is God saying to kill everybody. And is that really God? How can God do that? That seems so immoral. It seems like it's so backwards. And so, as I've heard pushed back, say, well, this, this must be some little tribal God thing. Maybe the Old Testament doesn't count. Maybe this is something that we should unhook ourselves from too. Let me actually read the passage to you. So I'm, I'm, I'm not backing away from this because this is, we need to look at it full in the, in the face. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, 1 to 2, Deuteronomy is Moses' big, you know, sort of, Sermon he gives before they go to the promised land. Here it is, Deuteronomy 7, 1 to 2. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to possess and drives out, drives out, okay? Can we all just say the words drives out? Okay, we're gonna come back to that. Drives out before you many nations. <clears throat> I need a drink to say these nations. Hittites, the Gerasites, the Amorites, Canaanites, Parasites, Hivites, Jebusites. And seven nations larger and stronger than you. When the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, you must destroy them totally. Amen. Like how many people have a little devotional book and you read that and that, right? (laughs) This is not found in any little devotional books. But when you stumble upon it, it, you start to ask Question. How can God say this? How can God? It, it offends us. It actually offends Western culture even more. By the way, I, I've talked to people from other cultures beyond uh, uh, North America and Western Europe, and they're not offended by it at all. They live within war torn countries. They, this is like day in, day out to them. They, they get this. But to our, us and our sensitivities, we're offended by it, and we ask, is God evil? And so, Remember one of the interpretive methods we talked about? Let scripture interpret scripture, right? So if we want to find out about God, don't just take one passage. Don't take, read the whole thing and and get other examples. I'm going to give you some other examples. Uh, 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 Some other examples. So uh, God has profound care for the poor. For the oppressed, for the orphan. And he demands just laws for the oppressed again and again. So God is for people who are hurt. So what gives? What gives? Is God for people who are hurting? Or is God against them? Or is God just random? Here is something I believe that we're going to learn something more about God if you've never read this. That God warns. And God judges. God warns. And God judges. There's some things I can't say because there, there's people of different ages here. But there were peoples in the ancient world who were brutal. The Assyrians were one of the most brutal people around. They, they, they had found great sports in torturing people to death. Uh, they had, you know, the feeding people to the lions But they they switched it up. In fact, they were the precursors to the Romans. And they did this with wild dogs so everybody could come around and see it. They were just horrible, horrible culture. It was so bad that God said, I am going to judge you. This culture can't go and stain other cultures. This culture is not only going to ruin you, but it's going to ruin my world that I made. And so you know what God did? He sent Jonah. Jonah. I'm going to warn you before I judge you. So Jonah goes there. I'm not going to go there. That's why Jonah doesn't like it. He, you know, he'd rather hang out in the belly of the whale, right? And so as he gets spit up on land, he goes, "Oh!" And so you can tell. I can just imagine how enthusiastic Jonah was about this. You guys got to repent, or you're going to be destroyed. You don't have to repent. <laughs> You know, because he really wanted them to be destroyed because the evil that had just soaked through the whole culture. But you know what happened? They repented. They said, No, what we're doing is wrong. And so God warns, and he took away his judgment. Because God warns and then he judges. That's just how God does things. Yes. In Sodom and Gomorrah, it was interesting. There are more writers about Sodom and Gomorrah than just the Bible. Yeah, there were commentaries even even back in ancient times. It says that kindness and mercy were outlawed. Isn't that wild? Kindness and mercy were outlawed. In fact, if you went to a town, uh, Eastern Hospitality would say, you go to a town, you go to the town square... You go to the town square, and it's incumbent on the town then to take care of you. They'll feed you. They house you. They will take care of you. But that was outlawed. Any kind of kindness was outlawed. And so now to come to the city square, instead of getting kindness, you get brutalized. And that that culture was so invaded in that place. Not only was it staining everybody there, but it was staining the people around them. And so God warns he sends his angel in. Let's see really how bad this is. But then God judges. And it's interesting, Abraham bargained with God, if there's just only 10 good people in that whole city, will you not judge them? God said, great. Show me 10, and I will not judge and you, so you come up to a verse like in Ezekiel thirty-three eleven. He says, surely as I live, and this is the, the voice of God, surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He doesn't get a kick out of judging anybody. He does not like this. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But I'm not gonna give them a pass. I'd rather them turn from their ways. And live. So I'm gonna warn people, warn you, warn you, warn you. But then there comes a time when God steps up in the judge's seat and he takes up his gavel. Not just for cultures, with every person. He warns and then he judges. God has the right to judge, he is the judge. And, and we kind of hope this would be the case. I know, again, we are, we are so cushioned against violence and death here in North America. Any little hint of it over the news, it shocks us. But imagine living immersed in that. I, I, I got to walk through Auschwitz. And uh, they set it up well. They set it up well. You, get, you go down the train tracks and, and you get off the train tracks. And, and you go through these, these huge houses warehouses, that, that, that it goes from here to about where, where God has the right, about that high, that high. And they're all made of glass. And you walk through these places and, and you, have, you, you, you have a room the size of the stage up to where God is, filled with eyeglasses of people that kill. You just solemnly walk through that. You walk through another two of hair that were, was removed and shaved off. And you're just like, oh my goodness. And then you go down into the chambers where they were told it was a shower, but it was death. And you walk through the ovens. And you say, No! No! Something's gotta stop. There's a sense of justice that comes up in you that goes, somebody's gotta do something about this. Somebody. And now imagine, imagine that. Now imagine if you were 100% holy, 100% holy, a holy God, wouldn't that justice just go even more so? And you know what? It's amazing. Is that God is kind and just and and merciful to warn people. Isn't that, that's the thing that amazes me. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not God. Boom, you're gone. Without any warning, without mercy, without anything. Without anything. So God is just and holy. There's a time when justice happens. So what happens with these Canaanite nations? Well, God told Abraham... You don't get the land yet because they haven't turned around and repented. They had to wait 400 years to see if things got better or worse. He had to, Abraham had to let his own people be enslaved to give the Canaanites more time. We don't know the multiple warnings they had, but that's what God does. He warns. I won't tell you about what they did to children. I, I can't say it on stage, but they just got worse and worse and worse until God says, It's time. They're warned, and yet they did not repent because that's the, the heart of God. And so he says in that passage, Go to war. But first of all, just drive them out. This is not about trying to kill. This is drive them out in front of you. Then they'll live. Drive them out in front of us. Now, most of us agree that justice is needed. In the West, we like God because loving, we we think he's loving. And we we don't think he's, he's a judge. But when you start to read the whole Bible, you get a whole picture of God. And even in the New Testament, it says this again and again. Romans eleven twenty two says, notice, notice, or consider. In the King James, it says, consider. Notice how God is both kind and severe. We got the kindness part down because culture just keeps on telling us that's what kindness, kindness, kindness. And he is, he is, he is so loving, so kind, he is. But no one in culture is telling us To have the fear of God. Like, who's saying that? I don't know. Notice how God is both kind and severe. I was reading Philip Yancey, and this is what he said. Again, he's quoting from the King James. I would rather consider only the kindness of God. Wouldn't you? Thumbs up. But by doing so, I would construct my own image of God instead of relying on God's self-revelation. And so we skip the parts of the Bible we don't like. We read nice devotionals, which are good. Read devotionals. But they don't take you through a whole picture of God sometimes. And that's why I always encourage you, just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. And then you'll find out that God is kind again and again and again. And then... He becomes not a tame lion that you cannot poke again and again. He rises up. In fact, this is what Jesus said. This is not Old Testament. This is Jesus that says this. Matthew 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. What? I'd be afraid of that. Like, no thank you. They cannot touch your soul. He's got the eternal... Eyes, right? He says, your souls are more important than your bodies. Fear only God. Well, hold on. Fear is it's bad. No, this is like a holy respect who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So thanks, Dave. I'm glad I came to church today. <laughs> I just want you to have a full picture of God. You know what? We're coming up to Easter. You know what you know what Easter tells us? That all of us deserve God's wrath. Every one of us. Every one of us. And so you know what he did in his kindness and his mercy? Woo! He sent Jesus, his only son, to bear the wrath of my sin on his shoulders. So every bit of it is paid. Every bit of my judgment is paid by Jesus on the cross. And when we think about Easter and coming up to that, that is the mercy and kindness of God. And yet he is still holy God. Somehow that works out so perfectly as Jesus bore that weight. That's why we do communion every week. It's because I want us to remember the price that paid. Remember, it is utterly amazing. It is beautiful. Beautiful. And it gives us a full picture of God. May I also say, if you're on your way to God, this is why I'm so desperate for you to come to Jesus. This isn't joining a religion. This isn't, you know, uh, oh, I wasn't born a Christian. I think I'm going to do something. No, no. I want you to stand face-to-face with God as your loving Father. I do, in every single way. Well, we could go through the other questions, but there will be time for that. Again, I'm going to jump ahead in in my slides, and we're we're just going to talk, I'm just going to remind you, we should never chuck our faith over a question. There are answers. In fact, sometimes the answers give us a fuller fuller, picture of God. And every question has the answer. By the way, my friend who lost his faith because of that one verse in Deuteronomy, he's dying. And he needs God. In his greatest moment of need, he needs the mercy and love of God. We all do. When we live for the short time on this planet. J.I. Packer said this, if I were the devil, one of my first aims would be to stop people from digging into the Bible. I want us all to have a full picture of who God is and how he revealed himself to us. Yes, this book has changed my life in so many ways because God whispers through it. There's an internal battle to read. (laughs) Reading is just hard, come on. It's discipline, right? It's just like, You got to pick a time. You got to pick a place. There's an external battle because all the powers of hell don't want you to read it. But can I say, this book will change your life. You come to it daily and allow God to whisper through it. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on out. Heavenly Father. As we worship you now in singing, help us to realize both your mercy and your severity and how amazing you are that you have stretched out the gift of forever life for anybody and everybody that calls on your name. Lord, meet us here now in our worship in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're new here to us, there are several ways we worship. We have a prayer corner. If you need prayer for anything, please, there's people back there with lanyards. They would love to pray for you. Even if you need a quiet place, you say, I, I just need to get on my knees. Or you can go back to the prayer corner. We have a table. It's a communion table. We do this every week. And if you're a believer, only if you're a believer, it's, it's a believer's table. You go and take, take and, and you get the little piece of bread and you reflect on, on, on how how Jesus just tore his body for you to pay for your sin. We, we drink the juice and remember how his blood has, has come and washed our sins away so we stand perfect before God. Take time around there. Do this with friends. Do this by yourself. Just take some time to reflect on him. We have one of our giving tables back there in our worship corner too. Why? Because when we give, it is an act of worship. It's not, we're just not paying for the bills to you know, keep the lights on it is an act of worship when we give. So as we sing now these next four songs, let's come. Let this, this, this whole house of worship stand. Let's worship from our guts. Let's worship from our souls. For the mercy of God, for the mercy of God, he has shown each one of us. Father, come, come, and let us worship you.